Well, that's quite an invitation the Lord does issue to us to come on home. Come on home. Come home. I'm here because of an invitation I had one evening as a 17-year-old going on 18. Simple invitation by the man who became my pastor back in England. He said, will you come with us to hear Billy Graham? A simple invitation. Because of that invitation, I've been here pastor with this church for 20 years, married with our four daughters, our five grandchildren, and a lifetime spent here in the USA pretty much, serving Jesus. One invitation. My plea to you, following up on what Pastor Jared has just been saying in these announcements, with our carols and lessons next week, our Christmas Eve services, and then the carols sing. People love to sing the old carols, especially in the older generation, because they know them. And that'll be the Sunday following Christmas. Invite somebody. That invitation can be as powerful in the life of one of your family, friends, neighbors, work associates, as was the invitation to me. Because I came to know Jesus. So let me pray with you about that as we get into this word concerning the family Jesus was born into. O Lord Jesus, you came uninvited by us. But in coming, it was a big invitation to us. You came on a mission to reach us and gather us and call us to yourself. And by that amazing mercy that you've exercised, most of us here this morning have followed along. We've said yes to you. And we've responded to you. And we belong to you. We came home to you. And we pray for those in our lives who need that invitation in the first place just to come and be amongst the people of Christ's church. To sense your presence here. And in the middle of that, Lord, to hear you calling them to come home to you. So as those people now come to our minds, we pray for them. And ask you, Lord, through us to draw them into the company of your people and thereby, Lord, in your merciful love for them, draw them to yourself. So give us the faith to see the faith and the courage to ask and invite and then to watch you go to work. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, expect the unexpected. We are looking to see that title 
with that uh, crack in the door and the light shining through on our billboards around the city. So you can back up that invitation and that announcement to expect the unexpected. And how unexpected is the lineage into which Jesus was born? You could hardly believe it, at least in one or two respects. Turn to page 6 in your service sheet, please, and or to chapter 1 of Matthew in your Bibles. If you've come with the Bible, look to chapter 1 and the first verse, which says, The record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, that is, Jesus Messiah. Christ is not his second name. That's his title, Messiah. His name is Jesus, Savior. Christ is the Greek transformation of the Hebrew, meaning Messiah. It's his genealogy. Now let me mention this. It's the genealogy into which he was born. He wasn't conceived because Joseph the man who became his acting father, had sexual relationships with Mary. That's clear as it unfolds in Matthew and in Luke's gospel. Jesus, as we have said in the creed, was born of the Virgin Mary. She had had no sexual intimacy with Joseph or anyone else. But Jesus was born into a family, And that family then gives us this genealogy leading all the way to Joseph. So Jesus was born into a family in space and time. There are some lessons we're going to learn about this. Let me just state four of them. One is that Jesus is rooted in history. He's real. He was born in space and time into a family. Secondly, in that family are the hints of the redeeming love that is the salvation, the joy of getting all our sins forgiven, wrapped up in this genealogy. And you'll see that. Thirdly, It's rooted in God's providence. That is, God's sovereign action in history, moving nations, leaders, circumstances toward his own ends. And you'll see that. And then last of all, It's rooted in Messiah, Christ. The fulfillment of all the prophecies of the ages in the Scripture. That all is apparent when you start speaking about the genealogy of Jesus. For instance, take a look at the fact that he is described in that first verse as the son of David and the son of Abraham. Like a condensation of the whole of his genealogy, 
with two great leaders. Abraham, who was the father of the whole Jewish people and the Hebrew race. And in that is the promise of all the nations. The promise to Abraham was this, that in you, all the nations of the earth, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That means all the Gentiles and all the Jews, the whole world, all nations, not just the Jewish people. In the foundation of the Jewish people, the promise to the founding father of the Jewish people was that in his seed, all nations would be blessed. That was fulfilled in Jesus. But it's hinted at in this genealogy. That's one of the hints. Secondly, David. That's the royal family of the Jewish people. Connected to David is his hometown, Bethlehem. And the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Messiah, that that's where he would be born of the family of David in the town of Bethlehem. It gets connected even in this genealogy. But Matthew was written to reach the Jewish people. When you read Matthew, it's all about the Jewishness of Jesus and the promises of the Old Testament all fulfilled in Jesus. It's repetitious, as was spoken of in the Scripture, and it would quote it. So Jesus, born of the family of David, so he is really thoroughly Jewish. Going back to Abraham, the founding father, and born into royalty, the royal family of King David. So he is, even in that respect, heir of all that David created as king. Now, I want you to circle four women's names in this genealogy. Look at verse 3. The mother was Tamar. Circle Tamar. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Then look at verse 5 and circle the name Rahab. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. And in that same verse, Ruth. You see, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Circle that name. And then last of all, the close of verse 6, when it speaks of David being the father of Solomon, whose mother was or had been Uriah's wife. Would anybody like to shout out loud enough the name of that wife? Bathsheba. All four of these women were Gentiles. 
Not one of them was Jewish. How about those apples? All of them. Two of them were Canaanites. One was a Moabite, that was Ruth. And the other was a Hittite. That was Bathsheba, married to Uriah the Hittite. All of them Gentiles. About expecting the unexpected, would you expect in the lineage of David, the family into which he was born, to have specifically four women named, and the only other woman who's named is Mary, when you get to her at the end of the list, which is not included here in the list we've read, the only four women named are these four women, and not one of them is Jewish. Lesson learned? This lesson. That in the heritage, humanly speaking, of the family into which Jesus was born, were four Gentile women. Namely, as we've already said, in the providence of God, Jesus came as the Messiah, not only for the Jewish people, and this was the big battle in the early days of the Christian church. Do Gentiles have to become Jews in order to be really Christian? It was a terrible, difficult time for the early church because the Jewish people couldn't even conceive of Gentiles becoming followers of their Messiah, Jesus, being baptized into that Messiah, and not also being circumcised and following all the laws and rules of Judaism. But most of us here are pure Gentile. No Jewish blood that you can recollect or look at. Though I'll tell you this, your genealogy might be surprising. Mostly Americans may know where they come from in some way, like Italian, Polish, European of some sort, English. Ancestry.com, about a month or two ago, offered two weeks of free access to Ancestry.com online. One of our daughters, Chelsea, thought that was too good of an opportunity to miss. And she spent two weeks intensively, for free, on Ancestry.com. And discovered that what we had been telling her, that we're partly French on my side, and maybe a little Irish on my side, and pure Scandinavian on the mother's side, Kathy was really true. She traced us back into the 1700s on Ancestry.com. But here was the final sort of descriptive that came from Ancestry. They offered the opportunity for us to send in at a modest cost some spittle from our mouths and to check out our DNA and from our DNA tell us where we're from. 
So, you know, they are <laughs> on the spit, on the little piece, of, into this little tube. Kathy and I send it off. I'd be telling you that I'm 15% Irish. <laughs> Even more amazing. I am uh, about 30% French. Oui, oui. S'il vous plaît. Vous êtes stupide. <laughs> that last one was not pleasant. I was speaking about myself. You are stupid. Mostly English. Thank you, Father. But it was a fascinating study. And we've been, Chelsea has now begun to put together a genealogy. And my genealogy isn't that distant from some of the screwed up stuff that's also implicit in this one. Because three of these four ladies were sexually promiscuous. Three of the four. Ruth was the only one who was not. Tamar gave birth to Perez because she acted as a prostitute. And Judah, can you imagine, bought her services. And she had a child, and that child, Perez, is right here in the family tree of Joseph, into whose family Jesus was born. Bathsheba, you know that story, seduced by David. David, the real operator in that criminal act, because he went on then to organize the death of Uriah in battle and then taking his wife to be his wife. But Bathsheba became the mother of Solomon. The baby she conceived with David's adultery died. Child she did later give birth to, Solomon, in the family tree of David. And Rahab, she was the prostitute who in Joshua's day, in Jericho, gave cover, hiding to the spies who came into Jericho and she was allowed to live on. And in living on, both Gentile and prostitute was redeemed into the family of the family tree of Jesus. So three sexually messed up circumstances. Now in looking down my family tree, no less so. In fact, I got born into a family out of Ireland because one of my great, my, my ancestors dumped his family and went and married another woman in Ireland. And of that family, I was born. My own father's father 
who I never knew, abandoned his family and left back in the 1920s. Apparently went to Russia and never came back. My own father committed suicide. I could go on and on. All of us have issues of family. But the encouraging news here is that into the family tree of Jesus, the family into which he was born, I keep saying that because he's not their descendant. God was his father. He was supernaturally conceived in the womb of Mary. But Joseph became his authoritative father and raised in that home with Joseph as his dad. And this family tree names these women, and it's really unusual to name women in a Jewish family tree. Very unusual. So that the only four mentioned are these four, plus Mary, when she conceives and has a a baby born of God but into this family. But God is sending us a message and the Jewish people a message that the grace of God was going to reach out to the whole world, the Gentiles, and people who've got all kinds of screwed up relationships in their own genealogies and histories. And how true is that? You know that today, if you go and get counseling the first thing they want to ask you questions about, apart from whether you can pay the bills or not, is this. Your mother and your father and the family in which you grew up, that's what they'll ask you. And then you discover you're messed up because you were born of and lived in a family that was messed up, and they point out to you why you're so messed up, because of your mum and dad being messed up. Almost invariably. Back in my traveling around playing guitar days, there was a song I used to sing. In fact, if I picked up one of these guitars, I could still do it. It's fairly simple in chord structure, but let me tell you the words. And I got these words from a Christian psychiatrist who was teaching the University of North Carolina. I went to my psychiatrist to be psychoanalyzed to find out why I killed the cat and blacked my wife's eyes. He laid me on a downy couch to see what he could find and this is what he dredged up from my subconscious mind. Hey, libido, bats in the belfry, jolly old Sigmund Freud. That's the refrain that I would get you to sing if we were singing it. Hey, libido, bats in the belfry, jolly old Sigmund Freud. When I was one, my mummy locked my dolly in the trunk. And so it follows naturally that I am always drunk. (laughs) When I was two, I saw my father kiss the maid one day. And that is why I suffer now from kleptomania. (laughs) Hey, libido, bats in the belfry, jolly old Sigmund Freud. When I was three, I suffered from ambivalence toward my brothers. And that is just the reason why I poisoned all my lovers. 
And I'm so glad since I have learned the lesson I've been taught that everything I do that's wrong is someone else's fault. Hey, libido, bats in the belfry, jolly old Sigmund Freud. Hey, you. It's always somebody else's fault. The man you married, the kids you had. Who, who knows? And the great news is that Jesus came to be Savior with all that in his background via the family into which he was born and where he was raised. He came and became Savior, redeemed that history, redeems our histories, that is, takes what we are and what's been done to us and what we've done ourselves, and through his death on the cross and becoming our Savior, can take and transform our lives and take everything that's about us and by his own sovereign kingly providence, even use the muddles and messes of our background to serve him and do great things for him because he now indwells us and has transformed us. I met at breakfast yesterday morning a man who I had met before just to say hello, but since he was sitting at the breakfast table, yesterday morning was a great morning here at the church again. Most of you don't know that but we had a brunch for 170 women in Wilson Hall. And earlier that morning, just a little earlier by about an hour, had crowded out Fellowship Hall with a breakfast for men. And so I'm sitting at one of the tables with the men and get to know one of the chaps there. He's one of 12. He's fairly new in our church. He's... One of twelve. And his father was a raging alcoholic. And he himself became an alcoholic. And out of a messed up family, and then his walking in the footsteps of all that misery and becoming an alcoholic himself, he got to know Jesus, and his life is so thoroughly transformed that now he is available within Alcoholics Anonymous, gets calls at two in the morning, three in the morning, goes and visits with, prays for, encourages, watches out for other alcoholics. And he said, I am just giving back what somebody else did for me. But at the heart and core of that, is his relationship to Jesus. So wrapped up in this amazing look at, as far as I'm concerned, I have enjoyed the study for myself, this genealogy, these early leaders, names, to see the Messiahship of Jesus for all nations and the saviourhood of Jesus for all sinful conditions. All wrapped up in this genealogy. 
And one last thing that encourages us to believe God's Word, the Scriptures, and this is amazing. It's not sanitized. All the ugliness, sexual screwed-upness, murderous spirits, failure to follow God, the easy leading away of one soul after another into unbelief, and the kind of pain and suffering that those who were believers endured at the hands of unbelievers is all clear and cleanly written in such a way that you could never say this was a made-up story to say that our faith was made to look good. Honest biographies of messed-up people like you and me except for Jesus, who lived a sinless life and died on the cross as a sinless sacrifice, sinless in terms of what he offered, covered in sin because of what he bore with our guilt and judgment. That's our Savior. That's our heritage. Let's live it to the full by his grace. Let's bow our heads and pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that you came into such a messed world of ours, a messed up family, messed up associates, friends, circumstances, history, a mess. But thank you, Lord, for what you can do for us in our day and our generation with our families and our heritage. We do pray, Lord, that all subsequent ancestors of ours, let me rephrase that, Lord, that the ancestry that we will leave in our heritage will be of such influence that down through the generations, the good news of the gospel will have all our children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and so on, conditioned by the gospel to become heirs of grace and salvation. We pray this for your name's sake. Lord Jesus. Amen.